0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. Hey, on this- M- Mary, can
2: I interrupt you? We just had Father Don Calloway mm-hmm. on talking about his books on consecration to St. Joseph. He blew me away with his insights Beautiful. on the Holy Family.
1: Absolutely. We need more of that. We do, we do. You got to read the books. Father Don Calloway's book on St. Joseph. Yep. Yep. tradition to St. Joseph, Father yep. Don Calloway. But yeah,
2: but I was bragging also about your this show today you've done a lot of research. We got way more than what you normally have <laughs> on the Epiphany, the manifestation of God. But before we do that, we always like to have the readings
1: of the gospel for the daily mass. We do. We do. We're doing, we're in the, the week after epiphany, the week between epiphany and the baptism of the Lord. So we're in the Christmas season. That's right. And um, the reading today is actually from the gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. When Jesus saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. But now it was already late, and his disciples approached him and said, This is a deserted place, and it is already very late. Dismiss them so that they can go to the surrounding farms and villages and buy themselves something to eat. He said to them in reply, Give them some food yourselves. But they said to him, Are we to buy 200 days' wages worth of food to give it to them? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish. So he gave orders to have them sit down in groups of, on the grass. The people took their places in rows of hundreds and fifties. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he said the blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 wicker baskets full of fragments and what was left of the fish. Those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The gospel of the Lord. Well, you know, Holy Spirit, enlighten us here. Uh, Many modern scholars like to say, oh, well, you know, this was just a miracle of generosity. Well, uh, excuse me, um, dismiss the crowds so that they can go to the surrounding villages and buy themselves something to eat. (laughs) <laughs> it seems to me the implication is that the apostles and Jesus were very much aware that the people had nothing. And what does Jesus say? You give them something. Oh, what? You know, here it is the church, right? And what does the Lord say? Okay. You feed the people, not necessarily just physically, but spiritually. You feed the people, you, the priests and the bishops, you feed the people, you give them the truth. And the apostles are like, they're put upon you. Wait a minute, are we supposed to spend 200 days wages? 200 denarii, that would be 200 days wages. Okay, that's almost a year's worth of work. I mean, for us today, yeah, we work a five-day work week, and we have 100 days off. So 200 days out of 365, I mean, whoa. And with all of our vacations we take. Now, back in the day, they they took one day off. They did take the Sabbath off. So they got 52 days off every year. But they also had Jewish feasts that they celebrated for eight days. So they had a few other days off. So 300 days would be your working days, or maybe, you know, so 200 is, is two-thirds of the year. That's, you're talking at least two-thirds of your working year. Mm-hmm. And the apostles are like, well, are we supposed to buy them food? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, what do you have? What do you have? And so he goes to the apostles, and he tells the apostles, and they bring it. And what does Jesus do? He blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. By the way, the only other place in the New Testament those three verbs are used together Is at the last supper when jesus institutes the eucharist interesting yes this is clearly a prefigurement of the eucharist and he gives it to the apostles he doesn't distribute it to the people himself and he doesn't have the people come and take it he gives it to the apostles to distribute they give it to the people the apostles are supposed to give to the people the church the hierarchy the holy father and the bishops and the priests are supposed to give to the people Everything that Jesus Christ gave in terms of grace and mercy, and they're not supposed to we're not supposed to take it, we don't take it, and in particular to the Eucharist, we don't take the Eucharist, we receive it, and we receive it first from Christ, but we receive it through his priests. This is what he set up. And so no, this wasn't a miracle of generosity in terms of generosity of all the people sharing what they had. Well, the people didn't have anything. That's evident from the from the dialogue that goes on here. Um, generosity of the apostles. Yeah. They had to trust the Lord that he was going to take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And it's like, it's a miracle. Miracles can happen. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Wait a minute. Does God work
2: miracles? Yep. But you know, Mary, I have to be honest in you and I have been in church before where unfortunately uninformed priests or deacons have not uh, acknowledged that as a miracle They say that it was the generosity of the people, which you're laughing, but I mean, I cringe when I, 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 it's not what the church teaches. So if you ever hear that.
1: Right. And it's not only not what the church teaches, the text doesn't support that. Of course. There's nothing in the text to support that. The text supports clearly that it was known. The apostles knew the people didn't have anything. They needed to go get some food so that they could eat. You know, it's like, I know another instance in one of the other, um, you know, this, this happened, this miracle happens in two different instances. You have two different miracles of the multiplication of the loaves and the Mm -hmm. fishes. And one of them, the people have been with them for three days. Yeah, they're hungry. People, um, three days. Um, Number one, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have thermos bags. They didn't have all the modern conveniences that we have. They didn't, they couldn't carry food with them for three days. That was going to keep, you know, it's like, um, you know, yes, this is truly a miracle of God. God's showing his mercy and his care. He cares not only for our souls. Mm-hmm. He does care for our bodies. And he doesn't want us to act like we're angels. He doesn't want us to live as if we were angels and we had no body to take care of. He wants us to take care of our bodies. But the body isn't to be worshiped. Man is not to be worshiped. We're not supposed to put man at the center. We're supposed to worship God. And, and, mortify ourselves so that we desire the spiritual gifts, so that we learn to break ourselves away from attachment to the things of this world in order to be open to receive from God all that he wants to give. And this, this miracle is a prefigurement of the Eucharist. God wants to give himself. Do we understand? Oh my goodness, do we realize Jesus Christ is really present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, and he wants to feed us.
2: Well, I will answer that question just by all the uh, surveys showing that Catholics don't understand that. And I'm going to make a uh, comment on that. You nailed it when you said we need to have the supernatural life of Christ
3: and not be on
2: just a uh, a, a secular approach to life without Christ. And Bishop Athanasius Snyder in his book, what is this Christos Christos Vinci 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 it. so it's Christ's triumph over the darkness of the age and yeah. this bishop who I would recommend if you read talks exactly about bringing back the supernatural aspect of our life we've 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 kind of gone away to
1: believe the supernatural for the natural yeah, and he said, that's the
2: issue right now.
1: A huge problem in our world. In our, world. We are trying to replace yeah, God. You know, this, this man-centered reality. It's like the, the Freemasons' view of, of the world is that we have this brotherhood of man without the fatherhood of God. Exactly. Well, if we don't have the fatherhood of God, if we don't have a common father in heaven who made us all, then what do we have to unite us as men? Because we're divided as men. We're full of sin and and sin divides us. It's not, you know, you, you can say, oh, it was this particular incident in the Middle Ages or this particular incident 500 years before the Middle Ages or whatever, you know, that caused all the problems in the world or this particular thinking of this particular scientist or maybe wasn't even a scientist, you know, experiment or whatever. And no, sin is what causes all the problems in the world. It's when we turn away from God and actually make man or some created thing the center of our universe. And then we have a problem because we're not God. God is God and we are not. God made us to live in union with himself, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna force us. He wants us to love him. It's interesting because the first letter of John that's mm-hmm. read today mm-hmm. is God is love. Why don't you read it? it, it is it's powerful. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. Mm-hmm. Everyone who loves is begotten of God and knows God. Whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. In this way, the love of God was revealed to us. God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might have life through him. Amen. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us mm-hmm. and sent his son as an expiation for our sins. And this ties into the gospel. Jesus gives himself. He multiplies the loaves and the fishes to show that he intends to feed the entire world on his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. That not only does he expiate for our sins, but he is the food, the spiritual food that we need to feed our souls. God is love. It's not that we loved God. It's that God loved us. And he wants to share that love with us and fill us with his love. What was it, Tres of L'Azu said? My God, lend me your love with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserved. And then she realized that at the Last Supper, Jesus had said, love your neighbor, love one another as I have loved you. And she's like, wait a minute, Lord. I can't love the way you love. Ah, unless, unless, Lord, Lord Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor so that I may love as you commanded. So we can love as God loves. We ask him for that grace. My God, lend me your love with which to love you. And Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor. We're supposed to love. And love means to will the good of the, of other. the beloved.
2: Yep. And you know, Mary, God gives us an opportunity to have a free will to choose that. He doesn't force it upon us. Because he loves. Right. Because you, you could, it wouldn't be love if it was it's forced. Exactly. It's not love if it's right. forced. The only value in saying yes to God is you have the freedom to say no. Free will. And this is so beautiful. So I want to encourage our listeners to go visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and pray about being in the presence of Christ. It's a great grace for all of us to come to receive Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. I hear the music, Mary. I hear the music, too. So you're listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I hope you're joining us this Saturday at St. Christopher's Paris in West Covina for the Spiritual Warfare Conference. A lot of people are registering, so go ahead and register quickly. We'll be back with much more with the Bible with the Barbers.
2: And uh, we thank you for all your support here at Virgin Most Power for our two-year anniversary is coming up.
4: Welcome to our January 11, 2020 Spiritual Warfare Conference. Every year without fail, this is our most popular, well attended event. This year's Spiritual Warfare Conference will host Adam Bly, a Catholic demonologist and an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, along with Dr. Luis Sandoval, a psychiatrist who's part of the Healing, Deliverance, and Exorcism team for the Diocese of Orange. These two gentlemen bring tons of experience and expertise in the area of spiritual warfare. This is going to be a high information Catholic seminar. I'll be there as well, sharing some riveting stories on the diabolical and liberation found through Jesus Christ from my best selling book, The Devil in the City of Angels. Mark your calendars, come and join us, and meet other radio hosts from Jesus 911. Contrary to popular beliefs, spiritual warfare is not demon centered, it's Christ centered. Come join us and learn how to armor up and fight the good fight of faith. Catholics, wake up, don't hit the snooze button. Join us at St. Christopher Catholic Church, 629 South Glendora Avenue, Escovina, California on January 11 2020. See you then. Strength and honor in Jesus' name.
0: In 1 Corinthians 13.13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith, hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end. And God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of His Son. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Well, Welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us on this Tuesday, the Feast of St. Raymond of Pinafore. He was the third um, superior general of the Dominican Order, a great saint in the church. Um, and we're going to talk about wise men still seek him. We had Epiphany. The actual, you know, the Feast of Epiphany is January 6th. This is traditionally, these, yeah. Traditionally. We have a, a little article here from Jimmy Aiken that we got from the National Catholic Register, and he says, nine things you need to know about Epiphany. But we And we want to talk about Epiphany because, well, first of all, what does it mean? And it means manifestation. We have of God, you know, and, and the, the manifestation that occurs here, of course, is the manifestation of the fact that God became man. Mm. The Son of God is manifest to us in the flesh. And so then he says, well, you know, what is the feast about? And it's interesting because the Feast of Epiphany covers more than just the visit of the wise men yeah, that's what or we the think church. Of. Yeah, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And you can look this up, paragraph 528 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it talks about Epiphany and what it means. And it's the manifestation of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, Son of God and Savior of the world. The great Feast of Epiphany celebrates the adoration of Jesus by the wise men. God bless you. From the East, together with, it also celebrates the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan and the wedding feast at Cana. Why? Because these were the manifestations, the first manifestations of Jesus publicly. His baptism in the Jordan Mm -hmm. and uh, in his adult life. This is when he he was manifest as an infant to the wise men from the East, the Magi. Now, who do the Magi represent? The Magi are representatives of the neighboring pagan religions. And the gospel sees them. Sees the wise men as the first fruits of the nations who welcome the good news of salvation through the incarnation. The Magi's coming to Jerusalem in order to pay homage to the King of the Jews shows that they seek in Israel the Messianic light of the Star of David, the one who will be King of the nations. These are pagans, these are non Jews, and they're coming to Israel to seek the one who will be the king of the nations their coming means that the pagans can discover jesus and worship him as son of god and savior of the world only by turning to the jews and receiving from them the messianic promise contained in the old testament interesting so how are the how are the pagans supposed to find salvation by turning to jesus mm-hmm. So as Christians now we have the fullness. The Old Testament, these of course the magi, they're coming. They're just they only have the Old Testament so far, right? So they're turning to the the messianic promises contained in the Old Testament, but those are all fulfilled in the New Testament. They're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So as Christians, are we supposed to go around saying, "Oh well, we don't need Jesus anymore. We don't need to evangelize or catechize people"? I don't think so. No, I I, I think not. I think that our our the mandate of Christ to go forth and teach the gospel to all nations still stands.
2: Yeah, the whole purpose of the church is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, always.
1: Right. So that's, that's the purpose. So that's what we want to do is show Jesus. Oh, do we understand what it means that God loves us? Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Oh, my heavens. Lord, help us to understand. And so the epiphany shows that the full number of the nations now takes its place in the family of the patriarchs. Okay, and it acquires the dignity of Israel. That is, it acquires what Israel was promised: the Messiah, salvation, and that's again Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph five twenty eight. Now, number three. Oh, so, so that was number one and number two. Epiphany, what it means. Yep. Number two. What is the Feast of the Epiphany about? So it's not just about the manifestation to the wise men. It's also the full manifestation of Christ in his public life, especially beginning with the baptism and the wedding feast at Cana. And the third question Jimmy asks is... Yeah,
2: what is Epiphany? Uh, when? when is Epiphany celebrated? And again, you know, my mom's birthday is, is the January. of January. <laughs> and so she always drilled into me, oh, I got my birthday's on a big feast day, the Epiphany. I said, okay, I'll never forget that, Mom. So in the United States, Epiphany is not a holy day of obligation, and it's celebrated as transferred to the first Sunday after January 1st. So example, last Sunday, we celebrated the Epiphany. Right. So, I But in Rome, I know this for a fact, because the Holy Father did the celebration. I watched it. Yeah. That is a big day off for everybody. It's a right. big
1: feast day in the church. It's still a holy day of obligation. That's right. People. Right in the I canon. Mean, it's in yep. the code of canon law. That's it's in right. the catechism of the Catholic Church. Yep. You know, but, but the, the obligation can be transferred. That's the right. obligation. Yeah. Yeah. So it was transferred to Sunday. So we celebrated on January 5th. So why is Epiphany connected with January 6th? Well, um, Jimmy Aiken mentions that it's hard to say how far, far back the Feast of Christmas goes. But in, um, in his book...
2: Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of
1: Nazareth, the infancy narratives. Right. That's part of the volumes. Pope mm-hmm. Benedict the sixteenth. And by the way, this is not—Pope Benedict made it very clear. His book, Jesus of Nazareth, is not a magisterial document. Right. This is his reflections as a biblical scholar N- on the meaning of the life of Jesus. Okay, and he has three full volumes. I mean, it's pretty extensive. You know, he does—and so it's beautiful, but it, and it's profound— but remember, I mean, you might have points where you disagree with them, and scholars can disagree on certain things. But yes. but the, the essential here is that, so why epiphany? Well, we know that this feast of January 6th and the Feast of Christmas being celebrated on December 25th, January, fe- January 6th emerged in the eastern part of the church, and December 25th as Christmas emerged in the west at least by the third century. That's the 200s. So we know from the evidence of the Fathers of the Church, that these feasts were being celebrated in the 200s. Which, by the way, that myth about um, that the Christians established Christmas on December 25th to counter a pagan worship feast, right. actually the pagan winter fest wasn't established until the 4th century, in the 300s, and it was established to counter the Christian celebration <laughs> of Christmas. And the reason it was is because... That's the vandals were beginning to invade Rome and they were beginning the, the you know Rome was beginning to crumble and so the the priests of the pagan temple said this is because you emperors are allowing the Christians to worship their God and not forcing them to worship the gods of Rome. And so they started a persecution of the Christians and they started to to counteract the Christian feasts in order to take Christians away from it. So yeah, the, the 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 obviously Epiphany emphasizes the manifestation of Jesus to the wise men, whereas Christmas uh, emphasizes the manifestation of Jesus to His own people, the shepherds. So then Jimmy has another question after that: Who were the Magi? Yep. Well, that's interesting. And again, Pope Benedict in his book, um, Jesus of Nazareth in the Infancy Narratives. This is interesting. He this he points nice. out that the Magi yeah. they're it's interesting because what you have is you have several different interpretations of who the Magi were back in that day. Okay, you have actually four principal meanings. The Magi can be understood as part of the Persian priestly class, they could also be understood as rulers of a distinctive religion, um, they could be understood as um, people who strongly influenced philosophy. Okay, but they were also, there's some negative connotations on the word magi. Okay, some of the elements of the negativity is the fact that you have um, magicians and deceivers and seducers. Okay, so you have this complex reality of who the magi were. Now, according to Pope Benedict, for Matthew 2, the first of the four meanings is what applies the best, at least in a broad sense, that these magi were members of the priestly class of the Persian people, Mm. okay? And maybe they weren't exactly part of the the Persian priesthood, but they were custodians somehow of the religious and philosophical knowledge that had developed in the area and continued to be cultivated there, okay? And what's interesting is you have the soothsayers and you have the... um, in In the um so, so the, in the Bible you have in the Acts of the Apostles, you actually have a bad magician, a magician who's clearly in cahoots with the devil, who's deceiving people, and he gets very angry when Paul interferes with his his commerce, all right, but then you have these men who were wise, and Pope Benedict has a beautiful, beautiful commentary on this. He says the ambivalence of the concept of magi that we find here illustrates the ambivalence of religion in general. It can become the path to true knowledge, the path to Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there, the path to true knowledge, the path to Jesus Christ. So we will find true knowledge in Jesus Christ. That's what religion can become. But when it fails in his presence to open up to him and actually opposes the one God and Savior, it becomes demonic and destructive. So the fact that the the Magi, that who they were is ambivalent, shows us that religion itself doesn't necessarily lead us to God. And religion is only true religion when it's leading us to God. And when it doesn't lead us to God, by the way, it becomes demonic and destructive, not my words. The words of Pope Benedict on page 93... Jesus of Nazareth, the infancy narratives. He goes on to say, the Magi, in St. Matthew's story, are religious and philosophical wisdom, their religious and philosophical wisdom, is obviously an incentive to set off in the right direction. It is the wisdom that ultimately leads people to Christ. So we feel the call, but what do we do about it? And again, I think this applies to all of us today, especially in the confused world we live in. Are we going to follow Christ and follow him without wavering, without compromising with the world or our own flesh or our own, you know, we, we're we weak. We're weak human beings. We want comfort. We want ease. We want titillation. We want entertainment. But are these things interfering with our knowing God, who he is in and of himself? Are we really growing in Christ or are we growing in an um, in opposite direction?
2: Sure. Well, the world, the devil, and the flesh are all out there trying to get us to go away from christ and so we really have to make that effort to
1: really study our faith yeah yeah so they these men these men in matthew they're not only you know magi they're not only men who study the stars but they are also wise they represent the inner dynamic of religion toward self-transcendence which involves a search for the truth a search for the true god and hence philosophy in its original sense, wisdom, philosophy means the study of wisdom, the love of wisdom. Wisdom then serves to purify the message of science. Did you catch it? Philosophy purifies the message of science. Wisdom does. If we're seeking true wisdom, the rationality of that message does not remain at the level of intellectual knowledge, Our knowledge of God can remain at the level of intellectual knowledge. Our knowledge of the world can remain at the level of intellectual knowledge. Are we going to go beyond that? It seeks understanding in its fullness and so raises reason to its loftiest possibility. The loftiest possibility of reason is the search for God Mm. and the coming to know him, by the way, which we can. We can know God because he reveals himself to us.
2: Wow. There goes that music again. Hey, Jimmy Aiken wrote this article from the National Catholic Register, Nine Things You Need to Know About Epiphany. We're also taking Pope Benedict's resources from Jesus of Nazareth. I hope this is helping you to understand the power of epiphany. We'll be back with much more. The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome, to Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother?
0: Hi. I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app and he kept putting me off till one day I grabbed his phone and I downloaded the app <laughs> for him. I went on vacation and you know i kept telling him to listen to it he was kind of put me off i came back from vacation he comes to my cubicle and he says to me hey man i've been listening to terry and jesse's show and it's great and it's uh, made a big impact in his life the guy he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week he goes to the mass in the morning mm-hmm. uh, he's the on fire catholic and he promotes uh, the terry and jesse show on the virgin most powerful radio
2: wow Daniel, what a testimony, and I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in catholic resource center or virgin most powerful radio and when you log in your amazon account and you purchase products a portion of it will go right back in supporting virgin most powerful radio and it doesn't cost you a dime i want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round may god bless you and your family
4: This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Yeah.
1: number. Yeah, I've got another comment on here. Welcome back. Jesse, thank you for bringing us back there. Yeah. And we're, we're still doing this article here by Jimmy Aiken. Nine things you need to know about epiphany, which point to us, who were the wise men and why are they wise and should we be wise and still seeking him? So number six.
2: Go ahead, Mary. What's six? Why, why did, did the Magi come... To see Jesus.
1: Right. Why did they come? Well, it's interesting. It is known from the Roman historians Tacitus and Suetonius that speculation was rife at the time that the ruler of the world would emerge from Judah. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just a, a an incident that occurred and nobody was looking for it. And what's interesting is that these Persian priests, possibly, or men of the priestly class, at least they studied the stars, There, there's a, you know, from Persia, you had the Moabites, right? Moab, and you had a prophet in the Old Testament. He wasn't an Israeli prophet. He was Balaam. And Balaam worked for the king of Moab. And Moab, the king of Moab had summoned Balaam to curse the Israelites. And Balaam goes and he tries to curse the Israelites. And what happens? He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not nigh. A star shall come forth from Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and Balaam can't curse the Israelites, and so that there's more about the prophet Balaam. He wasn't a good person necessarily, but God overrides Balaam. Balaam ten, totally tends to intends, excuse me, intends to curse the Israelites, and God says no. God gives Balaam this prophecy, and this is all that Balaam can speak, is this prophecy. And it's a prophecy of a star rising. Now, the star rising is a person. Obviously, I see him, but not now. Mm-hmm. And it refers specifically to the king who will come. But the magi would have been familiar with that prophecy, because that prophecy was made by a pagan. And it, it, it's interesting that this is, you know, this, this is a pagan, you know, that mm-hmm. and who makes this prophecy. And um, it's true that Balaam's star is not a celestial body. The coming king is himself the star that shines upon the world and determines its fate. It's the king who determines the fate of the world. It's not the stars in heaven, mm-hmm. right? Still, the context of the star and kingship could be influenced the idea of a star that pertains to this king and points toward him. Hence, we are free to assume that this non-Jewish pagan oracle would have circulated outside Judaism in some shape or form and would have set people thinking the question how people outside Israel were able to recognize a king of the Jews, the bearer of salvation destined also for them is one that we will return to. This is Pope Benedict speaking in his Jesus of Nazareth. So Balaam had made this prophecy. They're aware of it. And although the star that he predicts is actually the king, nonetheless, they oftentimes, they the pagans believed that if a great man was born, there would be a sign in the heavens. Now, what's interesting about that, is we'll come back to later when we ask the the last question of Jimmy. But now we go on to question yes. seven.
2: Why did they go to Herod? And Jimmy Akin's comment is probably because they assumed the newborn king would be the son of Herod, the current king of the Jews. Now, Pope Benedict comments, you know, right from Jesus of Nazareth, the book you've got right now, and I would encourage... All of you to get that book, any bookstore should have it, yeah. you know, even on Amazon, I imagine.
1: And it's not real thick. It's a oh. small book. It's a very small book.
2: Here's what he says. He says, it is quite natural that their search for the newborn king of the Jews should take them to Israel's royal city and to the king's palace. That surely is where the future king must have been born.
1: And that would have been of a natural conclusion. <clears throat> but they're also following a star. And what of this star? Who is this star? And that's Jimmy's eighth question. What was the star? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. There's there's been a lot of um, you know quash, quash, talk about the star and um, the fathers of the church actually felt talked about the star as if it were a miraculous event that the star itself was not necessarily a celestial body, but was um, a, a sign directly from God mm. that directed these people. Gregory of Nazianzus says. Um, the very moment, excuse me, um, that's what that's, that's the astrology, I'm sorry, I'm a little ahead of myself. Yep. Oh my, I have to go back, I have to go back. Um, he he taught that There's a couple of quotes here from the Fathers of the Church, and I misplaced them. Oh dear. Well, they're in
2: that book. But they're, never, they're
1: in here, and what it is is that the, um, the Fathers of the Church did not see the star as a celestial body. St. John Chrysostom, that this star was not of a common sort, or rather... Not a star at all, as it seems at least to me, but some invisible power transformed into this appearance is in the first place evident from its very course, for there is not any star that moves by this way. In other words, that these men could follow the star from the east, that it would lead them as if it were a guiding light. Like, remember the pillar of um, fire that oh, went yeah. before the Israelites? Yep. At, and led them on their journey. In the, so the fathers of the church believed that it was an angel, and St. Thomas Aquinas believes that the star was actually an angel. Is there a possibility that God used natural means? That's a possibility, and that's we don't know for sure. When we get to heaven, we'll know that, I guess. But um, um, much of the church's tradition has underlined the miraculous nature of the star, as in the writings of St. Ignatius of Antioch, 100 A.D., who saw the sun and the moon dancing around the star and likewise in the ancient epiphany hymn from the Roman bre- breviary which states that the star outshone the sun in beauty and brilliance. So it's not, um, the star could possibly have been an astronomical, um, what do you call that, configuration that in six or seven BC, seven or six BC, there was a lining a lining of the, um, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. And the three of them would line up together and they would cause a light that was so great. It would be much greater than other lights in the heavens. Um, possibility that that was it. But there's, there's also this very strong possibility that this was a miraculous event, that God was leading these men by this. And the fact that the men responded, and again, the question is, what does that mean for us? Okay, do we receive inspirations from God? Do we follow them? Now, these men, they left everything. They left their people and and these are pagans and they're leaving to go find in Israel. The Jews were not considered the great people of the world. For a lot of people, the Jews were considered less than great. And yet these men are going to worship the newborn king who is supposed to be somehow a king of the whole world. So out of Israel will arise this king and it's out of the Jews that will arise this king. And um, it's just it, it, the the wise men from the East, okay? They're a new beginning. They represent the journeying of humanity toward Christ. Where are we journeying? Toward Christ. Mm. And I think this is so evident in Pope Benedict's writings here in, in, in the Jesus of Nazareth, the infancy narratives. It's only one volume of Jesus of Nazareth. But that this, we're journeying towards Christ. They initiate a process that continues throughout history. So they're wise men and we should follow them, but we should, We too need to be wise. We need to follow the inspirations of God that lead us to his son. Remember, we can't know that God is a father if we don't know he has a son. Amen. And it's only by accepting his son that we can receive the father because it is the son who reveals the father. No one knows the father, but the son and anyone to whom the son wishes to reveal him. So we want to come to Christ. Not only do they represent the people who found their way to Christ, they represent the inner aspirations of the human spirit, the dynamism of religion and human reason toward him. God made us for himself. We yearn for God. This is what St. Augustine talks about. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Wake up, everyone, (laughs) The things of this world can't satisfy us. Your, your sports events, your, your, your TV shows, your movies, your entertainments, the music you listen to, the magazines you read, the false politicians, the false saviors of the world, the, the, the demons. They're not going to bring you happiness. They're not going to fulfill you. Pursuing your own self-ego. You know, some, we're all very self-centered, aren't we? We always think of ourselves first. And even when we're trying to think of God first and serve other people, it's like, shoot, I'm serving all these people and dog on them. None of them will give a, get up off their haunches and give me a hand. They're all sitting there waiting for me to serve them.
2: You know, Mary, I think of self-abandonment, that we are self-abandonment to God. Yeah. You know, that the world says, take whatever you can take. <laughs> but Jesus says, give me your heart.
1: Give me your heart.
2: You know, yeah. self-abandonment, God, I want to give myself to you. And many times we give ourselves to God by our daily duties and our state in life. So, you know, mom, dad, when you love your wife and love your children and you do your duty, you're loving God.
1: It's that simple. Yeah, and, and Pope Benedict, I think, points this out or in one of the commentaries I wrote. Oh, no, it was one of the commentaries in the Navarre Bible commentary on this mm-hmm. passage.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, they mention that. Mm-hmm. How did the wise men find this star. Hmm. They were doing their daily duty. There you go. They were doing their daily work. Yep. And in the midst of their daily work, they found the star. Sure. And the star pointed them toward, and so they knew that they're now that, that they have to move in this direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it was in the midst of their ordinary life. There you go. And so, so too was it. Father Donald Calloway said it towards the end of the show, the Terry and Jesse show today, that the the holiest people in heaven, the two holiest human beings in heaven, are a married couple. There you go, Mary and Joseph. And how were they sanctified by going out and saving the world and preaching to everybody and working miracles and No, by doing the duties of their state in life, by being obedient to God and fulfilling God's command day by day. This manifestation of that God manifests himself to us moment by moment. Our our sanctification is in the doing of his will, which is manifest to us moment by moment in the duties of our state in life in abandonment to divine providence. that, that,
2: That book by Pierre de Cassade, Abandonment to Divine Providence, the sacrament of the present moment, abandonment... Talks about self-abandonment. And again, you know, the church is in a mess right now. We acknowledge that, but what can you do? Be a saint.
1: Exactly. We need to be saints. And we need to be have the courage of these men. You know, they so they see this star. Was the seeing of the constellation enough? No, not unless Pope Benedict says, not unless they were inwardly moved by the hope of the star. That was to rise over Jacob. So, unless they were inwardly moved by the hope of finding the king who was the Savior. So, what are we moved by?
2: By Jesus Christ. Wow. When we come back, Mary's going to talk more about the Epiphany. I hope you're finding this to be as fascinating as I am here at the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll be right back.
0: This is Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This March, VMPR, in association with the Catholic Resource Center, will be hosting a special conference for the Adoramus Society. Adoramus at the Triduum, a conference on the spirituality of the Triduum liturgies, featuring speakers Father Joseph Fessio, Dr. Anthony Lillis, and Christopher Karstens, addressing such topics as developing a liturgical spirituality, the spirituality of Holy Thursday, the spirituality of Good Friday, and the spirituality of the Paschal Vigil and Easter season. It all takes place March 14, 2020, at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel at 381 West Center Street, Covina, California, 91723. You can register online at vmpr.org or call now at 877-526-2151 to reserve your seat today for Adoramus at the Triduum. In 1 Corinthians 13.13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith, hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end and God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of His Son. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: So welcome back here to our final session, and thank you Matthew Arnold for welcoming us back. And um, we're talking today about wise men still seek Him. Wise men, are we wise? Are we still seeking Christ? And we found a lovely article by Jimmy Aiken in the National Catholic Register. And I want to mention that we are using Jimmy used in his in his article a lot of the material from the infancy narratives of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, There was a three volume set that he wrote on Jesus of Nazareth and the infancy narratives. I think was actually the third volume he wrote. He wrote that one last. These were his personal theological reflections as a biblical scholar. This is not magisterial teaching. But it gives us insight into the meaning of Scripture, deeper insight into the meaning of Jesus Christ and his life and what it means for us today. Because he shows us. This, 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 you know The questions we have to ask is, how does this apply to me? What does this mean for me? Am I just studying history when I study Scripture? Or, or is it supposed to move me in some manner? Scripture is the word of God is living and effective. It should be moving me closer to God at every moment. And Pope Benedict makes it so clear that that this is about growing closer to Christ. And um, so we thank Pope Benedict for writing this book, and we um, are grateful to God for having given us this world-class biblical scholar to be our Holy Father for the years he was our Holy Father. And we pray for him now in his his time of suffering and and um, where he's praying for the church. He hasn't given up praying for the church. <laughs> so the last question that Jimmy aches. asks Aiken, excuse me, thank you, Jimmy Aiken and Catholic Register for publishing this article on what is the meaning of epiphany, the the manifestation. What does it mean that Christ has manifest himself? Um, Does that mean that astrology is okay? Because these three wise men were looking at the stars and they were interpreting things from the stars. And what's interesting is um, the fathers of the church emphasized, and St. Gregory Nazianzen says specifically, that at the very moment when the Magi adored Jesus, astrology came to an end as the stars from then on traced the orbit determined by Christ. So we have this astrology where we say, Oh, our, our name is written in heaven. Well, yeah, our name is written in heaven in God's in God, in God, (laughs) but our name is not written in the stars. And the deal is it's not the stars that control us. God made the stars. They're creatures just like us. And they serve the Lord God. And so it's not according to the stars that our our destiny is determined, nor was the destiny of Jesus Christ determined by the stars. It is Jesus Christ who made the stars, and he is the one who guides the stars. And so Paul emphasizes that the risen Christ has conquered all the powers and forces in the heavens and that he reigns over the entire universe. God is God of the entire universe. You know, even our enemy, the devil, he's only a creature. It's not like Star Wars where you have a a force and you have a light side and a dark side to the force and they're both equal. No, the devil is only a creature and he can't do anything that God doesn't allow. St. Teresa of Avila used to say, I don't know why people are so afraid of the devil. Say God with reverence and respect, with true faith, and the devil trembles. Sprinkle holy water, and the devil has to go away. Make the sign of the cross. By the sign of thy holy cross, deliver us from our enemies, almighty and eternal God. No, God is God of the universe. It's not the stars that determine the destiny of Jesus Christ, of the child in Bethlehem. It is the child that directs the stars. So we need to remember this. We don't follow astrology, and the church is very, very clear about this. The catechism of the Catholic Church— all and this Jimmy Aiken puts in his articles, this Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2116, 2116, All forms of divinization divination are to be rejected. Recourse to Satan or demons, conjuring up the dead and other practices falsely supposed to unveil the future. Consulting horoscopes, astrology, contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. Astrology is a sin against the first commandment. And remember what Pope Benedict said and what the fathers of the church say. The astrologers come and they prostrate themselves before Jesus. They worship him. They give up their belief of reading the future in the stars. Now they know the God who made the stars. They come to worship and adore him. And they find in him the answer to all life's questions. So we as Christians too need to find in Jesus the answer to all life's questions. But are we going to him? Are we letting our lives be so filled up with entertainment, with work, with sports activities, You always have to be busy doing, 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 doing. Remember when Jesus called his apostles, he didn't say, go, 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 go. He said, come and see. And they are with Jesus for quite a long time before he sends them out. But he sends them out for a while, and then he says, when they come back, come aside and pray. And so he takes them aside, he teaches them to withdraw, to pray, to be filled with Christ. We need to be in contact with Christ if we're going to give Christ to the world. And Jesus Christ is really present in the most holy Eucharist, in the blessed sacrament. He's body, blood, soul, and divinity in his risen, ascended, glorified state. The way he's present in heaven, he's present in the Eucharist. And we can be filled with him every single day. You know, our day and age... No time in the history of the world has known the leisure that we have at our disposal in the 20th century America, 21st century America now, where, you know, we don't have to do our laundry by hand. We don't have to cut wood and build a fire for warmth. We don't have to, you know, build a fire for for light at night. We don't have to build a fire to cook our food. Everything's automatic. All the time it took people to do, they grew their own food, they harvested their own food, they built their own homes, they made their own clothing. All of these things we've we've automized and they become instantaneous for us almost. God didn't give us all of this advancement in technology so that we could just serve ourselves and our own pleasures. We are supposed to be using our extra time to spend with God. I remember Father Mitchell Packwa years ago in a sermon said, you know, the tithe in the Old Testament, you aren't supposed to just tithe a tenth of your worldly goods to God. By the way, that just move the decimal place over one, you know. Whatever your income is, move the decimal place over one. That, that, that amount, that 10% is supposed to go to the support of the church either three, and, this, and the poor. But we're supposed to tithe the tenth of our time. Well, we have 24 hours in a day. Yep. Not just the waking time, the entire day, by the way, not just our not just our net income, our gross income. A tenth of it belongs to God. But do we give it to him? Are we giving God 2.4 hours a day? One tenth. You know, I, maybe I'm doing the math wrong. Somebody can correct me on that. But mathematicians out there, am I doing that wrong? Two hours and four tenths of an hour is six times four is 24 minutes. Are we giving two hours and 24 minutes where we set aside that time specifically to spend with God in prayer and conversation. How do we do that? The Holy Mass, the rosary, the chaplet of mercy, spiritual reading, reading the Bible, the lives of the saints, the writings of the saints in particular, those things they've written themselves, that spiritual reading, meditation, taking time to stop and consider what God has done, okay? And and service of the poor, by the way, if we're you know bringing Christ to the poor, that's, we're serving him. If you're taking care of the sick and you don't have time to go to mass, just remember, Try ask Jesus to help you see him in the sick person you're taking care of. Those of you who are homebound and you can't get out, remember, you can still give to the Lord. You can give yourself to the Lord. And that's what he wants. He wants us. He wants our whole self. And not just a tenth of us, by the way. He wants the whole thing. <laughs> and, and God is good. He's never outdone in generosity. Whatever we give to God, he wants to share with us his glory in heaven. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were made in his image. Has anybody ever told you that you are beautiful and good, that you are made in God's image as a person to be loved and that you are precious and dear to him, that God loves you, he likes you, he desires you, and he delights in you? He wants a friendship with you. He wants to draw you into union with himself. He wants to share his life with you that you are a unique, unrepeatable image and likeness of God and that you were made to know, love, and serve the Lord your God and that everything you do can be done out of love for God. Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. May every heartbeat be an act of love, every pulsation an act of thanksgiving, Every breath and act of union of my will with thine and of desire for holy communion in union with your sacred humanity, Lord Jesus, for the praise of the glory of the father's name, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Wise men still seek him. Are we seeking Christ? Are we being wise or are we being fooled and trapped into a religion of our own making, a religion that's taking us away from God? You know, religion doesn't have to take us to God because if the religion is not from God, it's not going to take us to God. We have to find the true religion that God revealed. All religions aren't equal. Jesus Christ only founded one church. God only founded one religion in the Old Testament. That was Judaism. The fulfillment of Judaism is the Catholic Church because that's what Jesus Christ founded. It's not the repudiation of it. It's the fulfillment. It's the fullness of everything the Jews were hoping for. The Messiah, the King. Now, He didn't establish the kind of kingdom they were looking for. The Magi came and maybe Jesus didn't establish the kind of kingdom they were looking for. But they came and they prostrated themselves before this child and they worshiped him. Do we prostrate ourselves before Jesus and worship him? Do we give up our sins? Do we go to confession on a regular basis? Do we turn to the Lord? Do we go to communion in the state of grace, in a worthy state, fasting by the way? Yes, we should fast. Why? Because we can give up the things of this world in order to gain Christ. And that's what the Magi did, the wise men. They gave up the things of this world in order to gain Christ Jesus. And that's what we want to do. We want to give up the things of this world in order to gain Christ Jesus. So we need to begin to live as we believe so that we don't get stuck into believing as we live, which can be a hell on earth, quite frankly, and hell for all eternity, because only God can give us eternal life. Thank you so much for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for your support. We need you to support us. Your donations make it possible for us to continue the broadcasts. Thank you. Pray for us. Remember us in prayer. It's not just financial support we need. We need prayer. And recruit your friends and neighbors to pray for us, to listen to us, to give us financial support if they're able. But remember that it's all about God, for the praise of the glory of his name, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I hope you'll join us again next week. We hope to be here, God willing, and we pray that God is healthy.
3: Saint Faustina's Prayer for Priests. O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us.
0: Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.